0: Again to the Strange Brew podcast, and my name's Jason Bard. And we've got some great new music here, this time from John Ford Dance with the Devil. John's had such a remarkable career over the last 50 years over 50 years now with bands uh, James Fender and the, the Vulcans, uh, the Monks, Straubs, of course, Hudson Ford, and Elmer Gantry's Velvet Opera, and much more. And we'll be hearing from all those acts which uh, John has wrote for and sung and played with on this show, welcome, John.
1: Well, it's very nice to be here, Jason. A great speaking to you. Thank you for having me on the show.
0: No, it's a, it's a great pleasure here. Dance with the Devil. So that's a new track, and that's from your forthcoming uh, solo album. Yeah, it's called
1: uh, Life in a Foreign Town, which is sort of uh, it's a loose concept on you know me living here all these years, which is rather odd because I uh, I originally came here on a vacation. <laughs> you know? and I just never went back but uh, you know a few things happened but uh, so yeah the album's called Dan- Life in a Full Intent, which is not this song this is Dance with the Devil and basically yes. it's sort of a, you know a loose sort of concept on an apocalyptic sort of uh, theme to it you know where the the world at the moment is going to hell in a, in a handbasket and we're all just sort of uh, partying on which is part of the lyric and uh, but you know and we all? I mean, we all party hmm. on, you know, what, what else can we do, you know?
0: There's a great line in it, which I think is, is something along the lines of, is it only the truth sets you free? Or? It's only
1: the truth that sets you free, yeah. Actually, uh, that's uh, a line from uh, the Bible, actually. Yeah. That I sort of lifted, you know, only the truth is such a free. Whatever the truth is, I don't know what the truth is.
0: But,
1: mm-hmm. uh, I used it, it was a good uh, line, you know, it rolls off the tongue,
0: pretty good. Yeah, and we'd we'll be playing more of that material later on in the show. But um, listening to some of the other material, that there is a bit of that theme where it does reflect the times we're living at the minute, and I guess you're living in. Yeah, I,
1: I, you know, I can't help. I mean, ever since we've had this lockdown, and, and it's the same over here in New York as it is in England. Uh, and initially, it was really bad here. Now we're one of the lowest infected states, but initially, way back in March, April was pretty bad mm. I just couldn't stop writing songs and I hadn't written in a couple of years and one of the songs we're going to play later on all locked down is I just can't get out of that theme I'm, every time I've, <laughs> you know <laughs> I, and, and it's the same with the you know throughout uh, what I've written you know, I wrote songs you know part of the union and Burn baby but I I've just you know I just get hooked on topical stuff which uh you know affects your life you know so to speak mm.
0: And I guess it's easier these days, the recording processor. I assume you've got like a more of a home setup so you don't have to book studio time or anything.
1: Well, no, I mean, since when I first came over here, which was about 30 years ago, um, I think the best you could buy was a four-track cassette recorder. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, things have vastly gone through the roof. I mean, yeah, now you can record in it. Like we did, I mean, we, do, we made a video of All Locked Down, and my band were um, all in our own houses, and we would sent all our separate things off to the producer. He uh, formed a video out of it, and it was—it's um, it, it's literally amazing. The only thing, the only trouble with that is it—it it, it sort of overwhelmed the music industry. I think where everyone and his brother is making music in his bedroom, but there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, you know, it's great having a brother making music, but um, especially the younger generation—they used to get him using now especially for nothing and it sort of cheapens the the aspect of to listening to something and it being important i was saying to my son because my son uh, who plays in my band you know no one's more he's really into you know the rolling stones the beatles in authority on the beatles and all that sort of stuff mm. and i explained to him it, there's something to be said when i was starting off that the only time you could hear your Record was on the radio, and you'd sit either listening. We'd stop the car and pull the pull the van over and listen mm-hmm. to you know pick up the pieces on the radio because the only time you could hear it there wasn't any cable, you know all that sort of stuff. And the same with recording. You know it was a big deal to go into a recording studio. And as the Beatles mm-hmm. used to say, it was the like the headmasters up in the control room, and we were down in in the studio, and it was like. It was something special, whereas now, OK, you can record at home and it's, the quality is great and you don't have to do anything, but I don't know, it, it's lost something in the mix. So it's lost something in the mix.
0: And that's a great tie to our next track. And um, <laughs> it just seems like such different times. We're going, I think, back to late in 1964 here, all the way back. Uh, and the band that you were in at the time, James Fender and the Vulcans and Mistletoe Love, Now, I think that was a track that you co-wrote with James, but actually was produced by a legendary producer, Mickey Most.
1: Yes, it was. Um, How that came about was, well, first of all, myself and James Fender used to live in, uh, you know, we came from London, a town called Tooting, and we were in the same school. And I was already playing my guitar around, you know, the school and lunchtime and that sort of stuff. And James Fender, whose, whose real name is Michael Pierce. He saw me and he said, would you like, you know, I'm a singer. Yeah, and he was good looking. He had the looks. He was like the Cliff Richard of tooting. <laughs> and uh, he said, why don't you come around my house and we'll hang out and we'll, and we'll play. And so I did. We got to writing songs together. And he was my first actual songwriting partner. Wow. And uh, one of the songs we wrote was that the tune you're about to hear, Mistletoe Love." Um, how that came about was uh we were there was a, a program that you probably you may remember called Ready Steady Go. Yes. Which was a very popular it was as popular as Top of the Pops. There was an offshoot of that called Ready Steady Win, which is a competition for bands. We were in that. We never won, but uh they were impressed with our song Mistletoe Love. Why we were doing a Christmas song on that show I do not know. But anyway. We, so we were asked to record it and uh, uh, Mickey Mose was producing the whole album, the Ready, Steady, Win album. I think the winners were a band called the Bow Street Runners. Oh, really? I don't know what happened to them. Yeah, Bow Street Runners, I know what happened to them. And um, so we were on that album, uh, the, the the Ready, Steady, Win album with Mistletoe Love. and the, Yeah, Mickey Mose was, uh, I met him a few years later because myself and Richard Hudson were playing bass and drums on the Hermit's Hermits record. And he came out and you know, commented on my bass sound. And I don't know whether he remembered me from that band. But uh, yeah, so that, that occurred. So we um, and we played around in London. We opened up for the Kinks and James Michael Pierce's father, Johnny Pierce, was our manager. He was a great manager. And he got us all these, all these big shows with these bands and. I always said to him he should have managed the straws because he was so good for our little band. But, uh, you know, Mr. Toe Love wasn't, It never charted. And that was another thing. I remember sitting uh, around Michael Pierce's house and we, about 10 o'clock in the evening, Mr. Toe Love came on on BBC or something. And that's how you heard your record. It was the one and only time I heard it on the radio. But, you know, the band, um, you know, we played a couple of years or three and sort of drifted apart and uh, I ended up getting a real job, you know. (laughs) Before I, before I joined uh,
0: Elmer Gantry. Mistletoe Love was released on Parlophone? Yes, that was another thing. Uh,
1: Mike's father, Johnny, he somehow managed to get us a deal with on Parlophone, which was a big deal because it was the same label as The Beatles. Mm. And um, yeah, Parlophone Records, amazing. What studio was um, did you record that in? It wasn't Abbey Road. It, right. I think it was IBC in London, I vaguely remember. They were very tense. I remember Mickey coming down and chucking all that gear. Because he'd already had, uh, I think he'd had House of the Rising Sun with the animals. In fact, I think the animals recorded that there as well. Not 100% on that, but maybe I, I'm right. I don't know. I wait and I wait for a Christmas time for one sweet
2: moment. Yeah. So, And I can kiss, kiss, kiss you tender, tender Kiss, kiss, kiss you tender and kiss you Cause you're my missus, oh And I wish hours Christmas every day Cause the only time I can hold you tight One time here like Christmas now And I can tell you Well that I love you so When I can kiss, kiss, kiss you tender, tender, kiss, kiss, kiss you, tender and kiss you Cause y'all miss a tall love
0: Pajama mistletoe love. Pajama mistletoe love. Mistletoe love was the, I think, the only single by uh, James Fender and the Vulcans. And then there was some uh, changes, and then which eventually uh, you joined up with Richard Hudson in Elmer Gantry's Velvet Opera.
1: Uh, yeah, well, we sort of drifted apart in uh, James Fender. Uh, we had quite a few lineups. Myself and James Fenderworthy, right. you know, we, we were the main two in there. So I was leaving school. I got a job, but I, I wasn't really interested in, in any re- thing. Either. I In fact, my last job was, um, believe it or not, was, was in Carnaby Street, which is like the swinging '60s, you know. Right. And uh, but I you know, I was in menswear, selling clothes. I mean, right in the middle of all that stuff. But every week I used to buy a Melody Maker magazine or paper, as it was then and look in the ads department for bass players. And lo and behold, I even remember the ad. It said Elmer... Uh, no, it wasn't Elmer Gantry. It was the Five Proud Walkers. They were known as the Five Proud Walkers. They were a soul, a soul band. Uh, are looking for a bass player, must be on the ball. So whether I was on the ball or not, I don't know. But I turned up with this homemade bass because my original bass I used in James Fender and Vulcans was stolen. It was... Um, it was a Paul McCartney Beatles bass. You know, everyone had to have one of those. I wish I I wish I still had it. It would have been worth a fortune. It was the original Hoffman. So I lost that, and someone gave me this homemade bass. So I turned up to the Firepower Walkers audition with this bass, and uh, I got the job. Uh, I had no idea, absolutely no idea, of what they the music they were doing, because I was really into the Beatles and the Shadows. They were doing all this Obscure sort of souly stuff, uh, which wasn't so obscure because I, I know it now. It was like knock on wood and all that sort of Marvin Gaye stuff. But I really didn't know that, and I sort of fumbled my way around. And you know, the, I remember the organist left. He had a Hammond organ, that was fun, logging a Hammond organ all, all over the place. Very heavy. Oh, and one little thing from that, that period was mm. I'm, I'm jumping ahead of myself there, but the organist left, and it morphed into. Elmer Gantry's Velvet Opera because we kept the lineup. And I like that because yeah. I always like this three band lineup with a singer because it leaves the bass a lot of area to be heard. So there was Richard Hudson on drums, me on the bass, yeah. Colin Foster on the guitar, and Elmer Gantry, who was Dave Terry at the time. So we, we the psychedelic thing was coming along, and we, we called ourselves Elmer Gantry's Velvet Opera. And uh, yeah, one story out of that, we used to play the speakeasy in London and uh jimmy Hendrix just had hey joe out and he was down there and he asked um he said could he come up and jam of course we said yes and so elmer got down for a bit and uh for a moment there was it was hudson ford and Hendrix, <laughs> <laughs> because because jumped on our lead guitarist uh, Fender, and so it was uh yeah just the three of us but then the other guys got up elmer got up and it, it was uh, a good time yeah those were the days when uh it was a good scene in, in the you know, late 60s. Uh,
0: did, you mentioned that soul influence, certainly at, at the start of the band, and uh, the single Flames seems to be a bit of that bridge where it almost feels like it's a bit of a sort of Motown start, but then it starts to have a bit more of a psych influence as it progresses.
1: Yeah, well, the um, I always thought El Mugantri, at least with the first album, was almost sort of pre-punk we were noisy yeah it was all big chords and if you listen to the end of that song the way the the crescendos into the Mm. drums nothing was going on like that you know again uh it it, we had a small chart entry with that but we had you know we didn't have the best management at the time and i think we should have been bigger than what we were because we were touring all over the country we were people we had a, a wild act the act was wild i think we started the radio play on um radio Caroline. i think they started playing it and then it morphed over into the bbc and we got we got quite a few uh plays on that song and listen to it now you know opening with the bass and you know mm-hmm. that gr- grunchy uh sort of bass sound i had which i sort of copied from john embossel but we won't go into that and um yeah it's a, yeah it was a good single it was great it, we were a good band i think at the time
0: It's a bit of a sort of shift in sound for you and the group in Elmer Gantry's Velvet Opera, typified by the the song uh, Dream Starts, and it's got more of that psychedelia or the Beatles or perhaps even family. family Right, yeah,
1: psychedelic, yeah. I think part of the problem with that band was the album didn't reflect flames. Right. The album was good, but it was very diverse, and because we were influenced by, you know, the psychedelic thing, and if you take the Dream Starts, Actually that was one of the first songs Hudson I, even though I was riding with Elmer in the band, yeah. Elmer Gantry. Um, that was the first one of the first songs Richard Hudson and I wrote. He he had these lyrics, colours of the rainbow, appear on my and I said, I've just the right tune for that song. Again, I love the move and Roy Wood and the chords were in that sort of vein, colors of the rainbow appear in my wall. Mm. And uh, I said, yeah, harder. we've got to do this. And uh, yeah, that was one of our first tunes we wrote together. And we continued that writing until we formed Hudson Ford. But yeah, the album, that Elmer Gantry's Velvet Opera album, was um, it was good, but I think we should have maybe, at least for the, the next singles, because we had a, a few singles out after that, should have been in the, the flames vein, vain, which uh, it wasn't. Mm. Uh, Elmer Elmer Gantry. today, Terry wrote that song on his own. I, I didn't write that one.
0: A year or two after that, Elmer left, and, and you carried on for a few years prior to Strobes.
1: Uh Yeah, we made we um, we rode in a guy called Paul Brett. Yes, he's still a big yeah. guitarist. He's got his own um, he has his own guitar line now, which looked very good. i was tempted to buy one, but um, <laughs> uh, yeah, and he was he got rode in uh, Colin Foster left. We rode in Paul Brett. And the the band he uh, was a great guitarist and it sort of uh, gave us a sort of slightly heavier edge. But then uh, we had uh, I don't quite remember what happened, but we had uh, Elvis decided to leave. And so what we did we we had a sort of lighter version of the Velvet Opera because we wrote in a British guitarist from the Richmond area called Johnny Joyce who was known at the time as the 12-string king. He had a great voice. Uh, our version of Stageborough Blues on that second album is really good. We sort of became an acoustic act. We didn't really play that much, but when we did, it was sort of more acoustic, pull on acoustic guitar. I wrote a song called Blackjack David, which I sort of lifted from the old folk tune. And uh, if you hear that, that's in that sort of vein and uh yeah i mean i like that album that that second album as i say with the blues influence mm. with johnny and um myself and paul wrote some stuff and as i did with hudson on that and uh, it, it was a good album but uh, it never really uh we ch- i think we changed labels that cps or was that the same i can't remember that again sort of drifted down as it always does with these bands we never sort of charted with anything uh we had a single that got got a lot of play called play called um Anna Dance Square which which was pretty good It had sort of a a hoedown sort of with a violin on it and Johnny doing this you know rapping sort of thing early rap and that that was pretty good yeah and then um again that's how i drifted into the Straubs Dave Cousins used to run this arts folk uh, club in Hounslow, which was his hometown. And that's where I saw the straws. I went, I think we are, the Velvet Opera either had a show there, I can't remember. But I remember seeing the straws with Dave Cousins, Tony Hooper, and Ron Cheston on the bass. So they were doing, you know, it was very sort of folky. And I thought, yeah, you know, it was good. Yeah, you know. But I liked them. I was impressed by, I can't remember what they played, but I must have been impressed by what they did. And they also were, around that time, when we're talking about 1970 or the end of 69, they were getting quite a name for themselves, um, you know, around London. Mm. And I remember speaking to them, and I said to him, what sort of shows you? He said, yeah, hey, we do everything. Should we do in ballrooms and all sorts, which I thought was rather good, considering they were like a, a folk uh, band, you know? And so when I heard through the grapevine that they needed a bass player, they, they were looking for a bass player, I sort of turned up by chance <laughs> at, the, at the White Bear in Hounslow. I didn't say you need, you know, I heard you need a bass player. I said, have you got any more shows for the Velvet Upper? And Dave said, no, we haven't. But he said we're looking for a bass player. How would you like to, would you like to join us? And I said, wonderful. And uh, by the by the time uh, we'd finished, like two or three pints of beer. Richard Hudson was in the band as well. <laughs> and I called him up the next morning. And I said, uh, you know, we've uh, got a job with the Straubs and he liked them as well. That, that's how that thing started.
0: You know, Hudson Ford uh, joining Strobe's, uh propelled the band to even greater success and, and, and kind of shifted the sound a bit more into that sort of rock genre. Uh, you, you've picked uh, Benedictus, one of the, the standouts from from Straubs in, in the early 70s.
1: Yeah, that was on, if I remember, that's on Grave New World, right? Yeah. A bit prior to that, we'd done, because Rick Waitman, again, which I forgot to mention, was already in the band when I joined. Mm. He was another guy who I did sessions with, and I remember strolling into the White Bears. and Rick, what are you doing? I didn't know you were in the band. And we, uh, uh, less than six weeks later, we made the Antics and Curios Curios album, which was the live album. After that, we did... um, it, things happen so quickly in those days. Right? It's like a, a big sort of haze, and I can't remember last week. And uh, so we we did Witchwood as well. So Benedictus to this day is one of Dave's greatest mm. sort of tunes, as far as I'm concerned. Uh, we we that was uh, basically the start of the Grave New World album, which we recorded, if I remember, in Ireland Studios in uh, in London. Yeah. Mm. The the guitar solo is not a guitar solo. It's Dave playing his uh uh dulcimer through a fuzzbox which is one of the first I don't think anybody's done it since (laughs) yeah
0: And also from Grave New World is uh, one of your tracks, Heavy Disguise. Were you were you bringing much of your own material to the group at that time? Um, not that much, because
1: Dave was the main writer. And Hudson and I, I mean, I think on Grave New World, up to that point, we weren't really, you know, Hudson, Ford, whatever. Right. And uh, we, I think he did, is it, to Dale, that, that was his song, and I think he did a couple of things. Yeah, we were writing separately then. But, uh, yeah, Heavy Disguise, I was trying to get into the feel of what, you know, the straws were all about. Uh, because, you know, I am I tend to write a lot of poppy stuff. So Heavy Disguise, I thought, mm. you know, it, it fitted within at least what Dave was trying to do with with his general sort of songwriting approach. So, And I remember, I, I was in a, a flat, I, I lived in a flat in Fulham and the landlady, if ever I went down there in the morning, it, she'd catch me. <laughs> she would... She would lecture me all day and I couldn't get out of there all day about politics and this <laughs> that, and the other, the Irish situation and all that sort of stuff. And heavy of fle- reflection on that. And I remember also there was a big protest about the Vietnam War in, in London that also gave me sort of the inspiration for that. And uh, so it reflects in the lyrics, you know, the North or Q Southern there were left little doubt sort of stuff. And uh, And the tune was very, came to me from, uh, I was listening to um, Jethro Tull there. One song I cannot remember, I heard it once on the radio, and I, I sort of liked the rhythm, I remember going into the kitchen and writing that song down. Yeah, that song was written in Fulham of all places in London. And so when Dave heard it, we, I think we tried it with the band, it didn't work out, and it was his idea to, to for the recording to import the silver band, you know, the four-piece silver band, which worked great on the recording.
2: There's not enough room in the city today The people assembled to hear what resembled evangelists say Some came just to see them for a laugh, others to be free Fools must pretend to be wise with a faith that we use as a heavy disguise From the crowd with men crying aloud or just wringing their hands. The love in their hearts are this joining off people from faraway lands. I had so many questions I could ask, I wanted to be free. Must pretend to be wise With a faith that we use as a heavy disguise Cheers from the crowd For a much-loved constituent Lately arrived Here's to the soul of the man who takes toll for just staying alive Can't ignore the feeling in the air, glad that I was there Fools must pretend to be wise, we've a faith that we use as a heavy disguise on with a change of opinion from left wing and right and north the south who were left little doubt that they needed to fight i cannot begin to understand the suffering tonight To be wise with
0: faith that we use as a heavy disguise And we were talking at, near the start of the show about the fact that um, your lyrics often embody what, what's going on around you and um, oh, yes. the early 70s, mid-70s was, was a time of industrial strife the song we're talking about here is part of the union. Um, I assume it, it was kind of a, a reflection of what was going on at, at the time then? Well it was, because people ask me, they always say to me, is it pro or anti-union? It's not, it's not
1: pro, I mean I'm not anti-union, I'm still in the Musicians' Union. But what was happening then was the, they were sort of taking c- control of the country. And I remember who do we have in the government? It was Teddy. Mm. I think he got voted out because the miners were on strike, yeah. and even the the Storbs were on tour. And uh, most of the venues we got to, we had no electricity. And I, and I remember Dave, the two Daves, going outside and playing acoustically to the crowd. A lot of bands wouldn't have done that, have not you? Yes. But they loved it, and because we had no power in in the place, you know. And uh, yeah, it was you know if you, the whole the early seventies was. Uh, it was a whole load of stuff going on with the gas strike, and and so the you know the it's great to have unions, but you know compared to America over here, you don't really hear a peep out of the unions. I mean, they do have them, and I suppose they've got they're very powerful over here. But mm. uh, you know what was going on then was they were holding the government to ransom at the point. So the the song you know Jack Jones, you make Jack Jones the Transport and General Workers uh, leader. I remember the band went up to his offices and they took the song as their anthem, you know. And I suppose it is an anthem, you know. You know, don't get me an pardon. And uh, but on the other side of it, you know, is, is this guy saying he can do what he likes and he likes. And um, I t- actually I took a line from the government because the government was saying um, uh, we've got a go- we've got a plan and the plan is going to be this and the plan is going to be that and the line I put in, we can ruin the government's plan. Which, is, you know, which I lifted off of that. Yeah, so there you go. I mean, but on top of that, it's a good, uh, you know, a good singer along tune.
2: Now I'm a union man, amazed at what I am. I say what I think, that the company stinks. Yes, I'm a union man, when we meet in the local hall. I'll be voting with them all. With a hell of a shout, it's out, out, brother's out. And the rise of the factories fall. Oh, yeah. of the company spies, and I don't get fooled by the factory rules, cause I always read between the lines, and I always get my way, if I strike for higher pay, when I show my card to the Scotland Yard, and this is what I say, oh. So, though I'm a working man, I can ruin the government's plan. I'm not too hard, but the sight of my car makes me some kind of Superman.
0: Hudson Ford style was kind of more direct and, and poppy, whereas um, Dave was kind of less commercial in a way. Was it part of the union? Matt a bit of a sort of shift where you wanted to go your own way and, and have more of a direct style?
1: Yeah, I think so, because Hud and I, by that time, we were we were Hudson Ford within the band as songwriters. You know, we'd, we'd said, yeah. let's... Although we still didn't write everything. Clear. I mean, Hud wrote Lady Future. I had nothing to do with that. I wrote most of part of the union. But the, yeah, so part of the union was the sort of catalyst for us sort of leaving because we felt we, uh, you know, and I think we had a few tunes around that point after bursting at the seams on it. Sort of. yeah. yeah, so it was like, you know, I think it was a natural shift to sort of get out of there. But, you know, we all left on good terms. And, you know, looking back on it now, Uh, Although the, you know, the Strolls have had some terrific albums after that. I mean, some of their uh, Hero and Heroine and Ghost are considered, Mm. you know, better by a lot of the fans, better than our period. And uh, so they made some great stuff after we left. And uh, but, you know, I think in hindsight, if we'd had stayed together, Mm. I think because the public were confused, I think. And as Dave quoted once, he said, we could sell albums, they could sell singles and we couldn't sell albums. And they never had another hit single after that. So, you know, we sort of, uh, you know, I think if we'd have stayed, things, might have been different. At this point, I don't know. Who knows?
0: Yeah, um, you've talked about that singles success and straight off the bat, really, uh, top ten with Pick Up the Pieces. Well, yeah, there you go, right? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah those were, yeah,
1: it was a, uh, it was an easy sort of transition into all of a sudden we were, you know, we had uh, Pick Up the Pieces and we had a band. We, uh, we Well, we actually, we made the first album, Nickelodeon. Mm. We didn't really have a band. We had the, the basis of our band, which is a guy called Mickey King, who was, who was a great uh, session guitarist we played with in Denmark Street. And Chris Parron, who we'd done sessions with, who stayed with us. Uh, he, he stayed with Hudson Ford. And we made that album as me and Hud. Uh, mm. Pick up the pieces, actually didn't work with with our lineup. I think we tried it and we said, let's go in and we just knocked it out ourselves. So pick up the pieces, actually only me and Hud on there. But the rest of the album, we, we wrote in, um, you know, all our band members. We had Jerry Conway on the drums. Mm-hmm. He was with Cat Stevens. So there was no, um, he wasn't going to stay, you know, we, we knew he wasn't going to be in the band. And later on, later on, we we wrote in uh, a guy called Ken Laws, who again was from Denmark Street and rode him in on the drums uh, in fact we never even gave him an audition we remembered he was a good drummer we said yeah hey, ken in those you know in those days we it was all friends you know had <laughs> <at> auditions <laughs> but he worked out fine because uh, by the time we made um spirit we uh our band was really uh you know rolling along well there yeah but yeah so yeah pick up the pieces uh that was hud's uh line there the the, the uh, slide thing and put together on that and then all of a sudden we were in the charts again yeah weird it was easy in those days you know we didn't even look for a record deal it was assumed we'd stay on A&M records which was what we were who were with with the straws you know Mm. it was easy transition on all that stuff not like now you know you can't even have a sniffer a a big record label Mm.
0: And another hit here for Hudson Ford, Burn, Baby, Burn. Has that got a bit of an environmental theme to its lyrics?
1: Well, the actual line was the line used in the, you know, the 60s uh, American riots, Burn, Baby, Burn, really, on the... Uh, right. Yeah, which, uh, yeah, I used that line, but not for that. Yeah, I was say that when I announced this song over here, because I played this with my band over here, and, uh, yeah, also that's one of the first green songs. A bit naive, I suppose, lyrically, but... Uh, uh, I say so I don't mean to be a stick in the I mean stick in the mud it should be but it doesn't rhyme with you know and it goes on about you know the riverbed dry and you know, nothing to wash your hair it's sort, of a, it's sort of a fun thing but again that was uh, that charted for us I remember pulling over the side of the road with the band and listening to that see how high that had gone up in the, into the charts yes those were the days Jason those were the days
2: It's taken us about a thousand years To go spoil all the things we had right here Cause it's It's a hell on earth
0: now we have the last of our Hudson Ford tracks floating in the wind. How did songwriting work with you and Richard in this period? Uh, well,
1: basically, we used to have this sort of um, workman-like approach to it, where I would I would go over to his house every day, you know, normally around two o'clock, but I was always late. So I ended up about four. And then we'd sit down and, you know, fresh out a few things. If I had something, say, so we'll listen to this, I remember when uh, Hud's mother died, he wrote this song called Mother Mild, and i had not seen him because he was obviously very upset about it. i had not seen him in a month, and he said, I've got this bit of a tune in Mother Mild. That's the way we did it, you know. And then I'd say, Well, you know, what about, you know, mm. what about a chorus? It's basically how you have to do it. Um, it's a lot of, you know, give and take and backwards and forwards, and I got this and I got that, and I don't like this and I don't like that. That's why it's a sort of a, a very sort of democratic sort of partnership you have to have with a you know with the songwriting partnership.
2: exactly how you feel when your nerves are jubbed with fright until you're floating in the wind when your day is underdone and you're never satisfied how the way you're got to be woke up, broke up, paralyzed And never know where on earth you are you want to believe in something but can't choose And I'm not able on a job You're floating in the breeze Could be using force, don't you? I'm floating.
0: The 70s in terms of the the sound of the music um, just kept shifting, but uh, at the same time you carried on having hits. Uh, was uh, the Monks' Budson Ford anyway?
1: I personally was getting very confused on where to draw my um, inspiration from. We were surrounded by the stylistics and all this sort of. I mean, I, I mean, I like the stylistics, but I, you know, it wasn't our sort of music and the progressive stuff prog rock was getting a bit sort of uh, tired and I think that's where the younger generation you know the 20 somethings i.e. you know the Sex Pistols and the Ramones over in New York suddenly came out with this you know let's just pick up a guitar and thrash it out again instead of this you know, all this introverted sort of, uh, pro- not that prog is like that, I wouldn't say it's like that, because there's a lot of great players, but they just wanted to get on a guitar. And I like that. Mm. When I heard the Sex Pistols and the Ramones, it's what I had started out doing. And I, I still do it now. You know, pick up a guitar, you get a call with a di- distorted amp, and you play along, and it's great. And that's what that stuff was all about. And that's why it all called on. It's Not that, you know, Hudson, uh, we weren't going to form a punk band by uh, any means, but what we were doing, we were still sending out songs mm. to our publishers. And one of the songs was Nice Legs, Shame About the Face, which actually was my ex-British wife's line. Um, I should have given her a role line, but mm. she always said that to me, Nice Legs, Shame About the Face, you know, for, Looking at another woman. So, so anyway, uh, I, I'm not going down. I, I shouldn't be speaking like this on in an interview. I'm sort of going down in my tone. I shouldn't be doing that. I have a habit of doing that. Hmm. So the, the the line was that, and uh, I sort of wrote. I said I said, "Hard, I got this line." I said, extend about the face. That came straight away. Just that line. It's all on one line. I say extend and it's sort of the nearest thing to a blues that I've ever written. And so we we got that together. So we sent that song in a demo to. Our publishers with a bunch of other songs, and they came back. Somebody had heard it on, you know, at one of these um, publishers like NAM, a sort of a music version of NAM. Mm. And this label came along. I forget the name of the label, and they said we like this song. Can we release it? And so when they, when we heard it, we said, well, okay, great. You know, why don't you re-record it? They said, no, we like it. As it is it. <laughs> and all what it was was that this demo with me on the on a. Electric guitar had banging on a uh, on a flight case. Uh, the pair of us singing. I think we dubbed a bass on it. We recorded it on a Revox two track, and that was the song. So figure that that figure that out. And it was uh you know. And so what happened? Um, we got approached by EMI to do a uh, an album, which we made with our a singer that we'd already rode into not Hudson Ford but as a three piece uh we 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 were unsure of what we were doing at the end at the end of, of Hudson Ford mm. we had this band called High Society which was uh, sort of a 1930s we've had albums out with that which so we already had Terry Cassidy who was our singer we we decided to let let, it, let someone else sing we do the harmonies and we made the whole bad habits album with that which never did anything in England because as soon as uh, they found out we were Hudson Ford in the monks we sort of took a hit on that but the Bad Habits album became a massive hit in Canada. And it's still, it has become a cult album, mm. really, now, as was the uh, the subsequent, um, subsequent album, uh, Suspended Animation. In fact, if I twist around in my chair, I'm looking at a triple gold album of uh, Bad Habits sitting up there. Yeah, and um, yeah, we made that with Terry Cassidy, who was a great singer. And again, we had such fun with that because we swapped round instruments. We had Terry on the drums sometimes. There was me on the... Uh, I, play, I I dropped the bass. Hudson played the bass. I was on the guitar most of the time. We made it in sixteen a 16-track studio in, in Manchester Square. Um, um, not in Abbey Road, Manchester Square, mm. uh, where the Beatles had their shot for Please Please Me, that, that, that place there. And uh, we made a song called Drugs in My Pocket. Which again was a bit of a lot, because none of us take none of us take drugs, and that became a that started our the monks' career out in Canada, because it got it was a big hit with all the universities and colleges, hmm. and so you know we got you know what did we do we we formed a band called we a working band called the monks, and we went over in Canada and we were like the Beatles over there. <laughs> Figure that out.
2: Shame about her face. I had to take a dance in, I couldn't let her down. So we caught a bus to the other side of town. Out upon the dance floor, I wasn't getting far. So I had a drink with my friends up at the bar. I asked them what they thought of, her. they fell about the place. And they said, nice legs. Shame about her Shame about her face. Shame about the boat race Down to gin and soda me on the shoulder was in my ear It's getting kind of late When I took her home We hardly said a thing I walked her to the door expected to go in but She looked me up and down And really put me in my place She said Nice legs Shame about your face Nice legs about your
0: face. By the mid-80s, mid, mid you relocated over in the States and back on, you know, your solo career. Next, we have a track, I think, from 2008, big hit in India here, and, but that song in particular recalls the 60s? Uh, yeah, basically, it's um, one, a couple of lines that I,
1: I, I can't get on the radio. I can't get on the radio or on TV. Mm. You know, by that time, I'd been over a while, you know, my uh, two sons were were uh, growing up and um, it, it was harder to get shows for ex-rock style and myself. So basically, that's what it is. And I incorporated the, uh, you know, there's a there's a lot of, I can't remember the lines, but uh, except for those two lines, but uh, there's a lot of 60s stuff incorporated in there. sitar sounds. sound. Mm. And, and, and also, this was one of the, my son was about, I think it was about 14 when I made this. Again, I had my, I've changed you know I I'm in different locations now but again uh, in my my house in, in 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 on long island um he he was it was one of his first guitar recordings and he plays the electric rhythm on that when he did, it was when he was about 14 and he's still with me in in the in the, in the group now
2: That's why they call out my name. Get out the mini skirts and the flower chair. Temperatures code G.I. Jane. Yeah, I'm a big in India. And love is everywhere. It's 1968, time to meditate. Where the
0: We're getting more up to date here, and uh, another track off your forthcoming album, "Life in a Foreign Town." Yeah, and we have here back in England. So we've been talking about your shift to the states, and there's a bit of a line in here which talks about England, but only in your dreams. Can... Well, yeah,
1: yeah, that's at the end of the song, and I roll out this. Uh, you know, I'm back in England. Uh... Yeah, I mean, I'm always nostalgic for England. I mean, I, mm. there's very few. British people on this island, one of them being Richie Blackmore. I was I was on his album a, a while back, one of his uh, Blackmore's Night albums. But there's very few people over here, and and uh, in fact, we probably are the only culture over here that doesn't have a club, mm. because we British, as you probably know, we're a bit on the introverted <laughs> side, you know. And when you meet a British person, you know, I love speaking to you because, you know, it's just great for me. OK. But when you meet a British person on Long Island, it's it's I don't know, it's sort of weird. And um, so but I do. I have nostalgia. I'm very nostalgic for anything. British. I watch all the British. Uh, there's a Channel 21 on here where they play. What, 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 was, what was I watching the other night? Uh, to the Manor Born, you know, yeah. with uh, you know, all that stuff. I just, because I, they're great programs. The British have a way of presenting mm-hmm. themselves. They do the greatest TV. You know, America is all flash, but British programs, you know. And so this song is reflective of me. Well, I think one of the lines, of Eddie, if you walk down Brighton by the sea, you can, you know, you'll understand what I'm talking about being an expatriate, all that sort of stuff. But then at the end, I go, I'm back in England, but only in my dreams, you know. Whether I'll get back there to do, I probably will. But I mean, and I've been back in a while, actually. So it's a, you know, it's, it's only in my dreams. The song is only in my dreams. But it's uh, lyrically, it's uh, it was it's pretty good, I think.
2: My family tree Yeah, I'm back in England It may not mean a lot to you But it's on to me I'm back in England Where a cold wind never blows Oh no I'm back in England Where it rains place for me, put your feet up and watch the BBC, yeah I'm back in England, it may not mean a lot to you, but it's home to me. It's only in my dreams that I walk hand in hand, with you beside me in this green and pleasant land. Could never understand And if the training all day Don't let it get in your way Yeah, I'm back in England See the Queen's head on pound notes Oh yeah I'm back in England Lands enter John O'Grove Classes on a busy street Knock on any door You'll get invited in tea. Now I'm back in England It may not mean a lot to you But it's all to me It's only in my dreams That I want hand in hand With you beside me In this green and pleasant land Don't give up without a fight Yeah Even if the empire Is a But
0: only in my dreams We have our penultimate song, Somewhere Down the Line. Is that a song about loss? It could be, and it fits in again. It,
1: it was one of my, you know, these uh, lockdown songs I wrote because it uh, mm. we'll meet again somewhere Then We don't know when, you know, a- anybody, we don't know when we're going to meet again. I have to thank George Harrison for yes. this. And I took his line, and immediately I sat down with the guitar, and the, that line will meet again somewhere down the line. Came out just straight away. But I remember he was talking about uh, John Lennon's uh, assassination, and being, you know, George to me. And I wish I could have. I always wish I've met Ringo Starr, but I always wish I could have met George because he seemed like he just seemed like the Swedish guy. He had this terrific sense of humor, and when people were trying to pressure him, he was in this interview. They're trying to pressure him into being a bit down about John being shot, he wouldn't have it. And he he said, and I quote George Harrison and said, well, you know, I didn't really see John that much. He was always in New York and when we met, it was great. But for all I know, he could still be there and he probably still is. And I'm quoting George here and he said, we'll meet again somewhere down the line.
0: And I thought it was so great to say that, you know? I thought, you know,
1: George, I'm sorry I've got to use your line. And that's what,
0: that's, what, that's what I use. And the sound of that record, it could be a bit of a Wilburys or George Harrison sound. So you've got the sound of it also. Well,
1: yeah, I love traveling Wilburys, I love. Mm. And the people who said that a lot, like, they say I'm very influenced by Jeff Lynne. And, and I, I sort of am. And I love that, you know, the jangly guitars with the, with the strings mixed in and um, the... Uh, my the guitar solo on there, I, I thought George Harrison because I'm using a lot of low notes, bum 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 bum, which he would do, you know, which he used to do with the Beatles and stuff, you know. Mm. Yeah, I mean, you know, that's a good compliment for anyone to give me on that. Yeah, thanks.
2: When your day is full of doubt. And you're feeling down and out, and a dollar doesn't get you very far. When everything's surreal, that is just the way you feel. You could be in a better place than where you are. This ain't the time to be forgiving, but I wonder what you do and where you are. You were always there Looking over my shoulder Loneliness Wasn't any friend of mine But since you've gone My world's a little colder We'll meet again Somewhere down the line When your life's in disarray You drift from day to day Sometimes you just feel You wanna die I take time to review My memories of you But thinking of them Only makes me cry Where are those dreams of tomorrow You took them with you When you said goodbye
0: have our final song and uh, you know such a fitting song and a bit of a thread in relation to many of the tracks on today's show in that they're reflective of of the times and and, and the, the life that you're you're living at, at that period and uh, there's no there's <laughs> nothing more fitting than uh, a song called all locked down at the minute right well you know i
1: i was actually sitting in this very studio we couldn't go out mm. and uh was frightened uh, To do anything you know yeah Uh, in all honesty we're still going to the supermarket with masks but it would they had a that there was sort of a a cloud this Mm. thing um, this unseen cloud everywhere that i don't know whether it was all in our heads and the government telling us i don't know so i sat down here and i remember writing Mm. on my facebook just for a bit of a laugh and i said i'm sitting here in my studio thinking of what rhymes with quarantine and lo and behold I must have had so many people write to me saying well this is this and this rhymes with quarantine and a teen and a this and that and I thought you know it's so nice that people are sitting out there and they're, they're light hearted about this even though it's a you know it's like a, our version of the second world war or the, without guns and um, I thought this is great so I started writing uh, you know all down and again which, luckily for me, sometimes I just pick up a guitar and I just play stuff, and and I just wrote "All Down in Quarantine," which is a rundown on a G. So I, I sort of got to thank those people. Uh, to, just be, to be quite sure, I didn't use any of their lines. <laughs> but uh, yeah, and that's how that happened. We all lugged down in quarantine. There's something in there got to make uh, get, keep ourselves clean. You know, it's uh, and again it's, so it works acoustically, and um I actually recorded this i didn 't record this with my whole band because I could, they couldn't come around my house I, I That is all me on the recording right. we as I said, we did do a video of that. Someone called me out of Florida, so' I'm ju- I love your song and like to include it on my program. I think it was jam sixty nine where they featured all of these artists from all around the world. Mm. We're all very influenced by what's going on around us. we can't help it, and uh, being a songwriter. You, i just can't help it it uh, gives you this outlet of uh for your inspiration unfortunately i don't write books so that's what i do
0: <laughs> is it right that you're helping on on the forthcoming strobes album
1: yes yes that i'm very excited about absolutely and sort of honored to do it in all honesty because you know dave, mm. dave cousins we, you know always see them when they play in town you know whether they're on in manhattan or they play on the island you know, all the years they've been kind of, I always go to see them, and uh, Dave and I always get together. And he's always said to me, you know, over a few, he says, "Yeah, we got to do something. We got to." Do. I go, "Yeah, yeah, yeah we got to do something." Mm. And uh, he he called me um, a couple of months ago. In fact, it was right in the middle of the pandemic. Oh. He said to me, "Have you got any bare uh, tunes?" And uh, I had this thing, and I I said, "Yeah, I, I had something here, which was uh, I was actually listening to, "Fairy Man's Curse," which I thought you know, I thought was a terrific yes. album from them. And a couple of the songs are "Now's in the Hands of Christ. I thought was great. I thought it was really good. And um, it captured there what the straw was all about. And, you know, some of the feelings from their pre- previous albums. And so he wrote back to me and he, he said, I, I've got some lyrics for this and I think it's going to work. And so uh, since then, We've been going backwards and forwards, uh, you know, as I said before, the band can't actually get together. And this album, which is called uh, Strange Times, is, is being recorded, you know, with the guys at home. And at Blue Weaver, a keyboard player and uh, Bee Gees fame is producing it from Germany. So, you know, which gets us back to this, you know, technology. We couldn't have done this in the 60s and the 70s because we didn't have the technology. But now consider home, send this stuff out, send it back, you know, edited it up, do this a bit better. And we're off and running. Again, I'm very excited about it. It's great. Really good.
0: And before we close with all lockdown, your website, is it johnfordofthestrobes.com, where people can find out what's going on?
1: yes. Yes. In fact, the, the Facebook is John Ford, uh, but the, my website is John Ford of the Straws. The reason it's John Ford of the Straws, which I'm not really of the Straws anymore, is that over here, um, and probably all over the world, when my website was first being formed, if you go into John Ford, uh, John Ford the, uh, you know, the director and John Ford this, there's even a John Ford heavy metal band out of Canada somewhere. Okay. You know? And my name comes up last so <laughs> We, that's why I put John Ford of the straws because it, you get into it straight away yeah yeah, yeah. but the Facebook should be good on that as long as you have Facebook from your end then you can get into it Yeah.
0: brilliant thank you so much for your time John it's been such a, a whistle stop tour over the last 55 years but with many similar themes weaved across the show thank, thank you so much
1: well Jason it's been a, a real pleasure talking to you it's great to have a great questions asked of your whole career. It's really good. Thank you. I appreciate it.
2: Self-clean. We can't party anymore. Go for a ride. So I resign to the fact that I'm stuck here inside. I was walking through the city where the streets are all but dead. When I came upon a homeless man with a sidewalk for his bed. It was then I had a vision where the world Stone where well, you can't give a hug, then you can't hold.